A very good morning to all of you. Before we begin uh, to study God's Word, shall we go to God in prayer? Father, we come before you this morning as we pause and ponder what your Word has for us today. We pray, Father, that you help us also to be very cognizant and mindful as this church moves towards the rebuilding plans. We want to lift our prayers to you. Lord, we are aware that uh, there is a pre-service prayer which begins next Sunday. Lord, we know it is written in the bulletin. But perhaps, Lord, many of us just glance through very quickly. We pray, Father, that you help us how to do that. Father, we pray that this church will come together next Sunday, beginning next, beginning next Sunday, 15 minutes before each service, that people will come together to pray. Oh Lord, we pray to seek your wisdom, to understand your will, and to do your bidding in everything that we do as Grace Baptist Church. We love you because you love us. And so Lord, we pray that you will raise up prayer warriors beginning next Sunday at 7.45 and at 9.15 that all of us, many of us, will gather in the annex to pray to you, the matters of the church. For we ask all this in Christ's name. A farmer working in the rice fields discovered that his vision is getting from bad to worse. Over the years, he has been working under the powerful sun and he feared that he is going blind. And soon enough, one day, he awoke to find that his room is filled with total darkness. And he felt the warmth of the morning sun, but he sees only darkness all around him. So painstakingly, he made his way to the Christian compound in the far interior of the country to visit the missionary doctor who discovered that the farmer had cataract. And immediately, this missionary doctor operated on him to remove the cataracts. The farmer recovered and returned to the fields. And that was not the end of the story. One day, the missionary doctor looked out of his wooden hut and he noticed from a distance the formerly blind farmer was walking towards him from the far horizon, holding on to the front end of a long rope. Now, behind the farmer and in a single file, holding tightly to this rope, came several other blind farmers, whom this formerly blind farmer had mentioned about his operation. They all knew that the, this farmer had been blind, but now he could see. Now, the cured farmer could not explain the physiology of the human eyeball or the technique of the operation. All he could tell the others, all that he could tell the others was that he had been blind. The missionary doctor had operated on him and now he could see. That was all the others needed to hear and so they hold on tightly to the rope. So it is with our Christian lives. We may not all be trained theologians. We may not perfectly understand all the intricacies of God's mysteries, nor be perfect. Example of flawless Christian living. But we can tell everyone what God has done for us through Christ. We may not all be pastors or teachers, but we can all be witnesses. That is the point of our study throughout the book of Acts. 
We are to be witnesses of Jesus and we are to pass down what we know through the boundaries of time and geography. Right? So we're looking at the book of Acts. Now Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, described his first book and that is the Gospel of Luke. He described in this verse, he said that the account of what Jesus began to do and to teach. That's what Luke says. And then for in this book of Acts, Luke continues to tell us what Jesus continued to do and to teach in the world. And so the book of Acts is the execution of the divine program, the divine plan and purposes of bringing the gospel from Jerusalem to the whole world. But Jesus is not going to do it, do it by himself. Jesus wants his followers to be involved in this work. So now, the burden of proclaiming repentance and the good news of forgiveness to a lost world will rest squarely on the shoulders of his followers. The apostles at the time will be responsible for teaching the truth of the faith to the church. And so from a purely human standpoint, the apostles were in, were in no way ready for such a heavy task. There were things that they still did not understand. Their faith was weak, as evidenced by Jesus' frequent reprimands. The disciples not only failed in public witness, but also in their personal, private loyalty and faith. With the exception of John, the apostle, all the disciples had fled in fear of their own safety and was nowhere to be found at the crucifixion site. The apostles themselves obviously lacked their understanding and spiritual power. Now, the story of the blind man is a true story with a good ending. But how many of, how many of our Christian endeavours are smooth sailing, success stories after stories? When it comes to the gospel, it is a spiritual battlefield. We come face to face with Satan and all the evil forces that he commands. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Ephesians 6, verse 12. What does Jesus' commission, what does Jesus' commission entails? And how can we carry such an important assignment from, for our Lord Jesus Christ? This will be our study for today and for the subsequent sermons that I will be preaching for the rest of this year. Now, let's open our pages of the Bible to Acts chapter 1. For today, we will be focusing on the first 11 verses. Please follow as I read along. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them, he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Verse 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. 
but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's begin by looking at the word that we see in the text, which is also the title of our sermon, You Are Witnesses. Now, the word witness comes from the root word, martyr. Not all, now, not all witnesses will be called to become martyrs. But in the New Testament sense, all the witnesses of Jesus Christ view themselves as martyrs. A martyr is someone who gives his life for his faith. At any time, they can be set upon by the, the religious authorities as well as the government officials, the Roman Empire. Beatings, torture, and even death are common. Don't be a follower of Christ if you are afraid of death. That's the refrain you hear in the streets of Jerusalem. Being a witness for Christ carries with it grave consequences of bodily harm. Jesus Christ understands perfectly what it means to be a witness. And he does not use this word lightly upon his followers. So it is important for us here to know that Jesus called to his witness it's not just limited to any select group of people. Since it spreads from the 11 disciples to the 120 believers, and from there it multiplied throughout the book of Acts. In other words, do, do you think that Jesus wants to restrict his witnesses to some kind of professional ministry? Like someone standing in front of you? Every believer should be a fisher of men, able to function in your role as a witness for the Savior from our church at 17 Martha Road in Singapore, to the other side of the world. Right, so if you have a bulletin, let's look at the, the text to get together. Point number one. Point number one is, you are witnesses of Christ. Not just witnesses, you are witnesses of Christ. I want to talk about two things. His life and his message. Now, it is crucial that if you want, if you want to carry the message of Christ to the world, you must have intimate knowledge of the life of Christ. And what is his message? Without an accurate understanding of the content of the Christian truth, ministry will be futile, will be fruitless. Jesus' life. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For all sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might have, we might become the righteousness of God. This is Jesus' life. There's more. In First Peter chapter 1, verse 22 to 24. By the way, those uh, words highlighted in red is the one you need to take notice of. Alright, just pay attention to those words. The verse is taken from First Peter chapter 1, verses 22 to 24. He, meaning Christ, committed, committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. This is the life of Christ. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. He don't retaliate like many of us do. 
When he suffers, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him, meaning God, who judges justly. Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. This is Jesus' life. What about Jesus' message? The Bible tells us very clearly, Luke chapter 19, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. These words, this phrase were mentioned by Jesus after he has invited Zacchaeus into his, into his house to dine with him. Right? Jesus' message for all of us, Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. And in Mark chapter 10, the Bible tells us, for even the Son of Man, that is Jesus Christ, came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Jesus Christ's life is perfect. It's seamless. Jesus' message is, hey, He is going to give His life for all of us. Just I mentioned that it is crucial that you must be aware of the message and life of Christ. The next thing you must be aware is that your life also counts when it comes to being a witness for Jesus Christ. Evangelism is telling people that God saves from sin. Now what beautifies the message, what adorns the message or makes it believable is a holy life that clearly demonstrates God can save from sin. It is self-defeating to proclaim the message of salvation from sin while living a sinful life, isn't it? It don't make sense. The messenger must manifest the power of the message that he or she is proclaiming. You are witnesses of Christ. That's the first point. What does Christ mean to you? Does Jesus' life and message impact you in the first place? Have you really made Jesus the saviour and the sovereign of your life? Alright, think about it. Jesus preached righteousness and lived it perfectly. We have to preach the same message and strive to live it as best as we can. Now, how can we do that? It's not possible on our own strength, isn't it? That leads us to the second point. The second point is you are witnesses of Christ through the Holy Spirit. Verses 4 and 5 and verse 8. I want to mention two things here. Firstly, the promise. In verse 4, Luke mentioned about the promise of God. And verse 8, of course, the power of the Holy Spirit. Promise. God does not break His promise. We thank God for that. God is not man that He should lie or a son of man that He should change His mind. Has He said and will not do it or has He spoken and will He not fulfill it? In our mind, we harbor the thought that, hey, God is like us. He don't feel like it. He changed his mind. No, the Bible tells us God is not man. He does not lie. He does not change his mind. The Holy Spirit is the source of power for the believer's ministry and enables you to obey the Lord's teaching. The promise of the Father. But let's zoom in further. The promise of the Holy Spirit God promised that the Holy Spirit will come upon His children. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 to 28, 
It goes like this. God says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I give to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. The promise of God cannot be broken. But more important than that, God actually promised the people that He will send His Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit, who is the Holy Spirit? It's just a helper. The Holy Spirit is powerful, very powerful. Because the Holy Spirit is God Himself. The attributes of the Holy Spirit are the same as the attributes of God. Omniscience. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 to 10. But at this is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Attributes of the Holy Spirit are the same as God. Omniscience means all-knowing. Omnipotent, all-powerful. In Job chapter 33, Job says, The Spirit of God has made me, and the bribe of the Almighty gives me life. If you have time today, look at Job 33 one more time. In the first preceding verses, it talks about how God created the Leviathan, how God created the deep animals in the deep sea. And then in verse for Job says, hey, the Spirit of God has made me and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. All-powerful. That is omnipotent. Another attribute, among many, I will only dwell on three of them. The only presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is everywhere. Psalm 139, verses 7 to 10. David says, where shall I go from your Spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Psalm 139. So the Holy Spirit is God Himself. God promised to send us the Holy Spirit. I want to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life. We know that the function, the works of the Holy Spirit includes Revelation includes, among many things, uh, leading and guiding. But I want to talk about specifically the power of the Holy Spirit's divine works in our life, in a believer's life. Right? Revelation, consummation, intercession, and helping the saints. This is what the Holy Spirit will work in our life. Among the, the uh, inspiration of the Bible, so on and so forth, but this is what the Holy Spirit will work for the believer. Revelation, consummation, intercession, helping the saints. I will unpack them. Revelation. Both the Old and New Testaments attribute the work of the prophets and the production of Scripture to the inspiration of the Spirit of God. Revelation in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 30 to 31. Many years, be- many years you bore them and won them by your Spirit through your prophets. Can you imagine that in Nehemiah already, at the time of Nehemiah, while they were in exile, God, through His Spirit, already is working in the lives of the believers, through the prophets. 
yet they will not give ear. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. So the Holy Spirit works in our life. Help us. Revelation. First Peter chapter 1, verses 20-21 is unsurpassed. It says like this, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that the prophecy of scriptures comes, that no prophecy of scriptures comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophets, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the revelation of the Holy Spirit guides us and helps us. You don't understand the Bible? Holy Spirit revealed to you. Consummation? In First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 to 10. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. The Christian's confidence, all right, our confidence, in this personal and cosmic destiny that we have, is not an abstract theology, not a speculation about the future. It is grounded in a living experience of God. That's why therefore Paul can write this, to the Corinthians, the power of the Spirit to call Christians into service and to strengthen them for enduring hardships merges with His power to make the future present. In the Spirit, we are enabled to be faithful for the Spirit assures us that the victory is at hand. In the Spirit, we are enabled to be faithful. I mentioned about the works of the Spirit in our life, revelation, consummation. The next one, intercession, a very... Uh, uh, familiar with many of us. Romans 8.26 goes like this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. In your mind, we start to think, hey, there's, there's also another mention that Jesus Christ also is our intercessor. And you are right. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, Jesus Christ is our intercessor. He says that, My little children... I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus Christ is our advocate. But so is the Holy Spirit. That's how the Holy Spirit helps us. He intercedes on our behalf. We as believers, we have Christ on one side, Holy Spirit on one side, interceding for us. Can you imagine how undergirded we are? Last one. Helping the believers. And I think this is the most helpful one for all of us as believers. Well, how does the divine works of the Holy Spirit help us? John 14, verse 16. And I will ask the Father, Jesus says, and He will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. The promise of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. The implication is that with the help of the Holy Spirit, His empowerment, we 
we can become more effective in witness and ministry. It gives us power over victory, the power over victory of, of sin. It gives us power for victory over Satan and demonic forces. Doctrine supported by holiness of life is essential if you want to share the gospel, as I mentioned in point one. But on our own strength, we can't. That's why the Holy Spirit will empower you to be an effective witness for Christ. You are witness of Christ through the Holy Spirit. Now, what does this mean to God? When you're witness of Christ, what does it mean to you? Does, my, does your life and your message square with Jesus' life and message? But the second point, witnesses of Christ through the Holy Spirit, what does it mean to God? God is serious about our witness for Christ and that's why He empowers us Himself. That's point number two. Now, Jesus corrected the disciples' question in verse 6. They say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? With, and then Jesus corrected them with a commission. He says, this time, the phrase this time, would be a time of witnessing. A time of witnessing for the gospel. But more than that, the scope of their witness was not just Israel, but the entire world. Which leads us to the third point. You are witnesses of Christ through the Holy Spirit to the ends of the earth. Two points I want to elaborate on. Peoples and places. To the ends of the earth, all kinds of people. The Bible does not distinguish between different types of people. In the Old Testament, we have several accounts of non-Jews who were saved. The Egyptians who fled Egypt and together with the Israelites, they followed Moses into Canaan. Find this in Exodus 12. Rahab, a Canaanite woman who sheltered the two Israelite spies in Joshua chapter 2. And Ruth, the Moabites, who married Boaz and from whom produced the Davidic line, which eventually saw the birth of Jesus Christ. All kinds of people in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we are living examples of non-Jews who became Christians. You and I stand testimony that all kinds of people ought to receive the Bible, the Gospel. The Bible does not distinguish between different types or ethnicity, but only two types of people. Those who have Christ, those who do not have Christ. To the ends of the earth also means all kinds of places. In verse 8 of chapter 1, he says that, Luke writes that Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost part of the earth, or ends of the earth. It is said that you can find Coca-Cola at every major city, major country in this world, but not Christ. You can find Coca-Cola at every major city or country in this world, but not Christ. Today we mentioned about you are witnesses, not of yourself, you are witnesses of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, to the ends of the earth, Point number one, what does it mean to you personally? If you are witnesses of Christ, we talk about the life and message of Jesus Christ. Does your life and message of your life square with Jesus' life and message? 
Point number two, through the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to God personally? It means very, very serious to God that God will empower you Himself. Number three, to the ends of the earth. What does it mean to the lost? Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. For those who are not familiar with Kovan, Kovan is an outreach in the northeast of Singapore that uh, we meet every Saturday, 4 to 6, at the Baptist Centre. What do we do? We have Bible study and fellowship, 4 to 6. Please keep us in prayer. In verse uh, 10 and 11, the angel's question, why do you stand looking into heaven? indicates more than curiosity at the miracles of Jesus ascending into heaven on a cloud. The word translated looking indicates a long gaze. A long gaze as Jesus is ascending on a cloud into outer space. In this case, it's a transfixed look of losing someone. It's a transfixed look. That means you are like a zombie as though you have lost someone. The angels went on to say that Jesus will return to them in the same way. Now, why is this verse written? Now, this will, will be our compelling motive. No one knows when Jesus will return, but He will return. And that will be our compelling motive to carry out His assignment, the commission to be witnesses of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit and to the ends of the earth. No one, know when, no one knows when Jesus will return. But all of us, all of you must live in anticipation that it could be in our lifetime. In our lifetime that Jesus returned. The task of finishing the work that Jesus began, the duty of evangelizing the lost world is a daunting one. It's not like the, like the, the blind farmer and he got his eyes uh, restored through the cataract. It's so simple. He brings along uh, equally blind people. The task of finishing the work that Jesus began, the duty of evangelizing the lost world is a daunting one. But the Lord in His mercy from the start has provided all the spiritual resources necessary to none other than the Holy Spirit Himself to accomplish that task. How can we apply today's text? Let us avail ourselves as witnesses of our Lord Jesus Christ through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to the ends of the earth. Start by praying. For those people that you contact, the people that you interact with at home, your workplace, your school, in your own neighborhood, and even in the Mephiston community, start praying. That's why just now at the beginning of my sermon, I pray that next Sunday we will gather together at 7.45, that means 15 minutes before first service. And then at 9.15, that means 15 minutes before second service. 7.45, 9.15, we're going to gather together to pray. Start by praying for the people that you contact with. And then you step up. Step up the planning to make inroads to allow yourself to speak into their lives. After you pray, start to plan. Make excuses. Make opportunity. Opportunity may not come your way. Make it yourself. Alright? Holy Spirit behind you. Pray. Start planning. Lastly, sustain the problem of the good news of Jesus Christ. In this process, sometimes we pray and then we plan, but we didn't, we didn't carry it out. 
Isn't it? Many of us, yeah, we gather together to pray. We, we, we also plan in our strategy, but we fail to carry out. We cannot sustain the proclamation of the good news when we face rejection. Last year, if you can recall, on Christmas, we actually come together and say, by faith, we want to pray for 100 people, for 100 guests to come. And God honor our, our prayer request, honor our faith. For those who came last year, it was full house in this church. The ushers, all right, the ushers told me that uh, there are 735 people in the sanctuary and the annex, as well as the leaf lobby area. 735 adults. There are about 35 children downstairs. Last year, we prayed, and these people, God bring these people here. We proclaimed the, the message to them and let the seed take root in their lives. This year, starting with Easter, we're going to pray for 200 people. By faith again, if you go out to notice board, it's in red colour. You only see two names, Kimme and myself. Kimme has better faith, he has four guests. I only have two. Right? Not me and my wife. Okay, I have only two. Right? By faith. Pray for two hundred. And we're going to we're going to punch above our weight. Because the Holy Spirit will guide us, isn't it? That's what we learned today. At Christmas time, we're going to pray for four hundred. We don't know how it's gonna happen, we will trust God. Alright? We pray. That's why we pray. We plan, and then we must proclaim. When we bring people into our church, we must proclaim the good news to them. Let us go to God in prayer. Father, we come before you. We thank you for the privilege of receiving the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. At the same time, Lord, we thank you and praise you, Lord. We have the privilege to receive the great commission to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. Not through our own strength, but through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, not limited to Singapore, but to the ends of the world. We pray, Father, that you will guide us and help us even as we look at the application, how we can start by praying, how we can start to step up, to plan, and finally, how we can sustain the proclamation when people reject us, when we do not see the results, how can we sustain the proclamation of your word through the pulpit, through the care group studies, through the Sunday school, through individual interaction at home, at work, at school, and in our community. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.